TUC Radio, Time of Useful Consciousness. 90 Seconds to Midnight with Helen Caldecott. An interview by Steve Taylor for the Global Justice Ecology Project. This thought-provoking conversation took place on January 25, 2023. One day after the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists advanced the hands of the doomsday clock to 90 seconds before midnight, in large part due to the war in Ukraine. Dr. Helen Caldecott is an Australian peace activist and environmentalist. She discusses the extreme and imminent threat of a nuclear holocaust due to a proxy war between the U.S. and Russia in Ukraine. She also addresses nuclear fusion and the relationship between the nuclear power industry and nuclear weapons. Helen Caldecott is the author of many books and was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. The Smithsonian named her as one of the most influential women of the 20th century. Her public talks describing the horrors of nuclear war from a medical perspective raised the consciousness of a generation. Helen Caldecott believes that the awareness of the possible destruction of all life on the planet has receded from public consciousness, making doomsday more likely. The title of her recent book states, We are sleepwalking to Armageddon. My thanks to Steve Taylor and the Global Justice Ecology Project for their permission to rebroadcast this interview with Helen Caldecott. Here's Steve Taylor. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists recently reset the doomsday clock to 90 seconds to midnight. So could you tell our audience a little bit about what the doomsday clock is, why it's at 90 seconds to midnight now? Well, for the last year, it's been at 100 seconds to midnight, which is the closest it's ever been. And each year they reset the clock according to international nuclear problems. 90 seconds to midnight, it's closer than that. I would put 20 seconds to midnight. I think we're in a an extremely invidious position where nuclear war could occur tonight by accident, by design. It's clear to me now that the Americans are arming the Ukrainians and now the Germans have stepped in and other NATO countries to fight Russia. It's the first time since the Cuban Missile Crisis that the two huge nuclear behemoths are facing each other militarily. They've pushed Putin's back against the wall. He's a man with great pride. He has threatened to use nuclear weapons. They talk about this war like they used to talk about the Second World War. Now we'll push you closer, we'll bomb you. But it's totally different now. And these men have got their minds stuck in the dark ages, like they've always been. The testosterone imperative. And if Putin does that, he's evil, so we'll do this and this. While a doomsday scenario overhangs all of us, and as I look out my window at my roses and my clematis and my figs, you know, I could wake up tomorrow and they won't be here, nor will I. People aren't taking this seriously enough. 
and I'm literally, I'm very scared. I'm very scared. And it really gives me the dry rot. In fact, it's very clear to me, actually, that America is going to war with Russia. And that means almost certainly nuclear war, and that means the end of almost all life on Earth. I'm old enough I remember the Cold War, and there was a healthy fear or appreciation, maybe not as much as there should have been, but for what a nuclear war meant. Um, it was unthinkable. It was incomprehensible. Do you think that we've become a bit inured to that threat over time? Yeah, I've just um, published a book called Sleepwalking to Armageddon. I was so worried about the threat of nuclear war, and it was predicted they're now putting nuclear weapons on artificial intelligence which the great physicist Stephen Hawking said could automatically lead to nuclear war. And because of that, I organised a symposium at the New York Academy of Medicine about the threat of nuclear war and I had people from all over the world spoke about it. But it hasn't made any damn difference. Biden is a you know product of conservative America, who spent all his life in the Senate, and now NATO is being admitted to Sweden, which has always been a neutral country. Germany is sending in its leopard tanks, first time since the Second World War where Germany invaded Russia and they lost millions and millions of people. Putin was crazy to invade Ukraine, clearly, and it's wicked what's happening. Uh, but Putin asked Biden to do two things. He asked Biden not to let the Ukraine join NATO and two, to remove all the missiles that America has placed in the newly joined NATO countries, which are all facing into Russia. And Biden didn't do it. And so Putin, in his stupidity and, and wickedness, um, invaded Ukraine. And one thing is leading to another, and, you know, it could be a nuclear war. Why don't I describe what happens if a bomb drops on a city? I would like you to share with us, as a physician and as a person who's studied this, what an, a nuclear attack would look like. It'll come in on a missile traveling at 20 times the speed of sound, and the radars pick that up, and as the weapons are crossing space, takes half an hour, the other country's radar picks it up, and then they launch their weapons so that their weapons aren't destroyed by the incoming weapons, and then the whole thing goes off. Launch on warning, it's called. If it explodes at ground level on a clear day, 20 megatons, it will be, dig a hole three quarters of a mile wide and 800 feet deep, turning all the buildings in the earth below to radioactive fallout shot up in the mushroom cloud. At those temperatures, marble and steel vaporize, let alone human bodies. Six miles from the epicenter, every building flattened and every person killed. People are vaporised. In Hiroshima, there was a little boy reaching up to catch a red dragonfly on his hand against the blue of the sky. There was a blinding flash and he left his shadow on the pavement behind him, which is in the Hiroshima Museum. 20 miles from the epicentre. All people will be killed or lethally injured. All buildings destroyed. People who glance at the flash six miles away, their eyes will melt and run down their cheeks. John Hershey wrote a book called Hiroshima and he said, there are about 30 men all in exactly the same nightmarish state. 
Their faces were wholly burnt. Their eye sockets were hollow. The fluid from their melted eyes had run down their cheeks. Their mouths were mere swollen, pus-covered wounds, which they could not bear to stretch enough to admit a spout of a teapot. There was one woman running, holding a baby, and she and the baby had been converted to a charcoal statue. Think about you and your own people and your own town. Enormous overpressures will create winds of 500 miles an hour, sucking people out of buildings, turning them into human missiles, shards of glass, travelling in 120 miles an hour will lacerate people, and the Pentagon's written a book uh, with equations about how far a piece of glass travelling in 120 miles an hour will penetrate human flesh. The overpressures will cause ruptured tympanic membranes, uh, ruptured lungs, tumorthoraxes and the like. Huge buildings will collapse into their streets and a huge amount of radiant heat will be produced, producing thousands of severe burns. A burn patient is the most difficult patient we ever treat. It takes months and months, transfusions, skin grafts, and even then often the patient dies. 26 miles from the epicenter, the heat will cause buildings to spontaneously burn. As the fires burn, they will coalesce coast to coast, north to south, and the whole of the United States will burn, and a huge cloud of black radioactive oily smoke will be lofted into the stratosphere. This will be in Russia and Europe and all over, covering the earth with a cloud so thick it will block out the sun for a year. Temperature will drop below freezing and it will be dark and everyone will freeze to death in the dark. That's called nuclear winter. Um, people don't know this. They don't know this. And as Jefferson said, an informed democracy will behave in a responsible fashion. People are uninformed and they're kept occupied by the crap that Murdoch puts on Fox, etc. He is the most evil man in the world and he's an Australian and he once lauded me in the front page editorial when I was fighting the French tests in Australia. I mean, what are we going to do, Steve? I need an hour with Biden and say, Biden, stop it. Go and speak to Putin and negotiate because all wars end by negotiation. Don't have a nuclear war. Biden, don't. I would grab him by the shoulders and shake him. I would talk to him as a physician like I did to Reagan. Scare the bejesus out of him. What's scary to me right now is, is watching this proxy war between the United States and Russia. And you have Putin, uh, who in an editorial, I believe, in the Australian Independent, you, you, you referred to as an evil leader. I'm paraphrasing something like that, who, who's invading in, you know, another country. Not that America hasn't invaded. Since 9-11, America's over a million people. Right, but what I'm saying is he's hinting at nuclear war. Yep. It almost seems as if it's people are just rather uh, blasé about that. In 1962, there was the Cuban Missile Crisis, and, and, and to me there seems to be some similarities. Yes, I, I got to know Robert McNamara, who was uh, Kennedy's Secretary of Defense, and he was in the Oval Office at the time. He said, Helen, we came so close to nuclear war. Three minutes. Three minutes. We're in a similar situation now. 
And Biden isn't surrounded by people who are very clever. So back then, though, famously, the world held its breath during the missile crisis. Uh, We were terrified, absolutely terrified, absolutely terrified. Doesn't seem to be the case today. No, they're blase. Well, first of all, um, they're not being informed adequately about what this really means, that the consequences could be so horrifying. If this happens, it would probably mean the destruction of the entire planet, everybody. But just let's say there was a limited exchange. There won't be. There won't be. I'm just saying what's really scary and terrifying about the potential of a nuclear exchange is that you might live through it for several days and experience the lack of medical help for anybody. There's going to be no calling 911 after a a nuclear exchange. I remember you talking about what happened in Dresden with asphyxiation and bomb shelters in World War II. Yes, in Dresden, people were in the bomb shelters and the fires were so extreme, they sucked all the oxygen out of their shelters and they died. Yeah, same thing would happen. And it's a very funny, oh, New York City has put out, just put out a video showing a woman in the street and it says, the bombs are coming, there's going to be a nuclear war. What you do is you go inside, you don't stand near the windows, you stand in the centre of the room and you'll be all right. I mean, it's absolutely absurd. The thing about it is, Steve, that evolution will be destroyed. We may be the only life in the universe. And if you've ever looked at the structure of a single cell or the beauty of the birds or, or a rose, I mean, what responsibility do we have? You mentioned how out of all these galaxies, we, so far, we, we are it. I once asked Carl Sagan, the great astronomer, who was a friend of mine, do you think there is other life in the universe? And he paused for a long time. And he said, no. And I said, why? He said, because if any other species had reached our stage of evolution, they would have destroyed themselves. QED. So so back to Earth. I, I wanted to ask you about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Do you see similarities uh, to what's happening? I mean, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, we did not want missiles pointed at us from Cuba, but Russia didn't want missiles uh, pointed at them from Turkey. Uh, do you see any similarities in, in the uh, conflict here with Ukraine? Oh, sure. You know, America's uh, got uh, nuclear weapons, I think, in nine European countries, all ready to go and land on Russia. I mean, how do you think Russia feels? Like a little bit paranoid? Imagine if the Warsaw Pact moved into Canada all along the northern border of America and put missiles all along the northern border. What would America do? She'd probably blow up the planet like she nearly did with the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, it's so extraordinarily unilateral in the thinking, not putting ourselves in the minds of the Russian people who lost 54 million people during the Second World War. So you do you feel we're more at risk now than we were during the Cold War? Yeah, we're closer to nuclear war than we've ever been, and that's what the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist indicated by moving its clock to 90 seconds to midnight. I'd put it at 20. Does it seem like political leaders are more cavalier about nuclear exchange now? Yeah, because they haven't 
taken in what nuclear war would really mean. And uh, the Pentagon's pathetic. I mean, Department of Murder. And it's all run by these cavalier folks who are making millions and squillions out of selling we weapons and making weapons. And, you know, almost the whole of the American budget goes to killing and murder. Let alone healthcare and education and, uh, you know, the children in Yemen who are millions of them are starving. I mean, we've got the money to fix everything on earth and also to power the earth with renewable energy. The money's there. It's going into killing and murder instead of into life. So you mentioned energy. The Department of Energy uh, was saying, look, we've had this fusion breakthrough, and I believe it was an experiment at Lawrence Livermore Laboratories saying, look, we got more energy out of this reaction or, or than, than we put in. What do you think about the claims uh, that fusion may be our energy future? The fusion technology that they had at Lawrence Livermore Labs, where the first bombs were designed by Edward Teller, was taken place under the stockpile and stewardship regime. It was part of a nuclear weapons experiment. It wasn't a part of an energy experiment. The amount of energy they used to fuse an atom of deuterium and an atom of tritium was huge, and they just got a tiny little bit out. It's inappropriate. It will never be used for the human race to provide energy. The physicists are lying. They're so excited because they thought they could never do it. Fusion energy is what powers the sun, but the sun's got huge magnetic fields which pound these ions together um, to produce fusion energy. The sun provides energy for us, for everything that we need, and it's easy enough to capture now. So it was a storm in a teacup. It's terribly, terribly expensive. Plus, it produced an enormous amount of tritium, which infiltrates all the structures around the uh, experiment. Tritium is highly carcinogenic. It emits a beta electron, which is very carcinogenic when getting into the body. So the place where all the physicists were located becomes extremely radioactive and a huge flux of neutrons are created, which make all the material and metal surrounding the experiment intensely radioactive, so all of that becomes radioactive waste, which will have to be transferred to a radioactive waste facility. Shall I go on? It's absolutely nuts, nuts. I spoke at Sandia Labs where they put together the bombs, and I spoke for an hour describing bombs dropping and what happens to the human body and the environment, and afterwards they lined up in queues to ask me questions and thank me. And they said they needed to hear this, pointing to blokes behind them, not themselves. So they knew that I was speaking the truth. I read the book uh, On the Beach several years ago. What impression did it make? I thought it was a very interesting book. It was written in the 50s. I think the main character was in Australia, and the only people left alive, basically, were in Australia. Melbourne, Melbourne, which is where I lived. 
and the radiation cloud was 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 coming, and and it was a story about how different people responded to that, and a little bit of a, a submariner in the military going to these various places looking for life and finding none. I, I thought it was very interesting in that it was one of the first books that really just I think talked to me that that I read about how insidious this invention, if you want to call it that, is. And, and how insane it is that we have these devices on the planet. I know, and, and the physicists who designed them and made them knew that they could never be used. That's what's been bugging me the last few days, that they've built all this stuff knowing it could never be used, knowing it could never be used, yet they keep on building the things. I read that book when I was 18 and it destroyed my adolescence because I lived in Melbourne. And at the end of the book, all life is gone. Everyone's dead. And um, I've never been the same again. We're in something similar to the 1962 missile crisis. We're not holding our breath. We seem not concerned about this potential anymore. It's almost like there's a cognitive dissonance that we can't hold such a grim picture in our mind. It's because people aren't being fed the information. I mean, in the 80s, I had a, a Hollywood agent who worked for me for free. She handled Tom Cruise and Lily Tomlin and all of them. And she got me on all, you know, Phil Donahue and Merv Griffin, all the television. I was all over the media, Vogue, Lifetime. And so Mr. and Mrs. Joe Sixpack, who was sitting there watching television, learned the medical effects of nuclear war, and that's why the movement became so powerful in the 80s. And as Jefferson said, your profoundly important president, an informed democracy will behave in a responsible fashion. This democracy is totally uninformed, and also many are practising what I call psychic numbing, blocking it out. So in the film, If You Love the Planet, you, you talk about Maybe an appropriate response to these weapons is taking over a strategic air command base. Do you miss the maybe the the, the fervency of of uh, the seventies and eighties when and maybe even nineties when it came to protests against nuclear war? Of course, I do. I, I know we you know we had a million people in Central Park. I addressed them and I had three minutes and it was an ocean of faces. So I dropped the bomb on them. And my quote was a quote that week in the New York Times. It was a quote from Nixon. Don't listen to what we say, watch what we do. <laughs> um, miss them. I mean, it's imperative that we get back to that, but you can't move an uninformed democracy because they won't respond because they don't know. It's like having to tell a patient they've got leukemia and walk them through their shock, their grief, explain what it is, explain their treatment. It's practising global preventive medicine, but I don't have the um, platform to do that anymore. And although my fellow physicians are trying, they don't have the platform either. I guess if, if Putin did explode a tactical nuclear weapon, oh God help them, in the Ukraine, vaporise people, and that only was one weapon, that I might be asked to talk about what the medical effects are, well, everyone would know anyway. 
But it won't be just one, you see, because America will respond in kind. It's all set up to do that with all the computers and the satellites, the whole thing. So we have this promotion of, of, of nuclear energy as a possible green alternative, and there's this, this, this resurgence and in, in interest in nuclear power, and, and we have this announcement of fusion. Uh, we have people still building nuclear weapons. Is the nuclear energy industry tied to the nuclear weapons industry? Of course. There was a psychologist in the Pentagon in the 60s. And people are scared stiff of nuclear weapons. And he said, look, if we have peaceful nuclear energy, that will alleviate the people's fear. And that's why they started nuclear power. They're one and the same thing. I mean, each reactor makes a huge amount of plutonium a year. You need five kilos to make a bomb. And that, I think it makes 300 kilos of plutonium a year. Plutonium lasts for has a half-life of 24,400 years, lasts for half a million years. One millionth of a gram of plutonium, if it enters your lung, will definitely give you lung cancer. There's nowhere to put it. Um, plutonium is scattered all over Europe at the moment from the Chernobyl disaster. You can never get rid of it. And the nuclear waste from nuclear power, you've got to store it isolated from the ecosphere for a million years, according to the EPA. There's nowhere to put it. And they keep making more. I wanted to read to you the, the end of your book. And you said, Hope for the earth lies not with leaders, but in your own heart and soul. If you decide to save the earth, it will be saved. Each person can be as powerful as the most powerful person who ever lived. And that is you, if you love this planet. Do you stand by that? Well, look what I did. I came to America. I was a woman, an alien, a strident. Um, working at Harvard, and I would turn into a Joan of Arc. You know, I used to go to three cities a day. You can't imagine how tired I was, addressing audiences of a 1,000 people and the like. I mean, I just spent my life on the road, neglecting my family and my kids. We can all be Johns and Joan of Arc if we're scared enough. You know, it's like we're being told we've got a lethal disease, and when you've got a lethal disease, you do everything you can to save your own life. Well, we've got a lethal terminal disease on the planet and every one of you can save the planet. And what you need to understand is that the people in Congress are not your leaders. You are their leaders. They are your representatives. And if you don't use your democracy, you need to go to the office of your congressperson every week when he or she comes home and say, read this book, do this, and if you don't, I'll make sure you're not elected next time. And that's power. And then you just door knock. You go around like they did in Georgia recently for the election and door knock everyone and get them to vote against this person and maybe run for yourself for Congress. But you've got to be very powerful and determined like you've got a lethal disease, and you do. Or think of your children and how much you love them and what what sort of future they might not have if you don't do that. It's part of being a parent. It's an exhibition of love. Dr. Helen Caldicott, thank you for being on Breaking Green. It's my pleasure. You're a sweetie, Steve. Okay, bye. That was a conversation between Helen Caldicott and Steve Taylor. He's press secretary for the Global Justice Ecology Project 
and the host of the podcast, Breaking Green. Dr. Helen Caldecott is a lifelong anti-nuclear activist, engaging public speaker, and author. My thanks for permission to rebroadcast this interview that took place on January 25, 2023, one day after the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists advanced the hands of the doomsday clock to 90 seconds before midnight. You can hear this program again for free on TUC Radio's website, TUCradio.org. Look at the newest programs or the podcast page. My name is Maria Gelerden. Thank you for listening. <laughs>